We're grateful for um, the gifts and your um, sacrifice in our ministry. Let me begin with the word of prayer. Father, we ask that you would take uh, these few moments, uh, these moments that we have, and we would ask that you would allow for our hearts to be in a place that we could hear your Holy Spirit speak through your word to our own particular need. And it is a marvel. I am am amazed how you, Spirit of God, can address each one of us. You know our hearts. You know what um, what this week has been like for some difficult, for some with joy. You know what this week will be like for some, anticipating being together with family, some fearful of being together with family, all kinds of different things as we, as a group of people come. So Spirit of God, speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we had an early Thanksgiving at our house and our girls called us together and said, could we do this? So about a week ago, because we were all going to be going our separate ways for Thanksgiving, you know how you have the you know kids with certain people, family, whatever. Well, our kids are all in scattered directions, and so they said, "Let's have a Thanksgiving." We did, and it was really wonderful. And we were having this uh, this meal and and enjoying ourselves together. And because it wasn't on our normal Thanksgiving, for some reason, I wasn't in the mindset of thinking about you know going around and saying, "What are you thankful for?" But my daughter said, hey, let's stop, and it was just a neat thing to see, and let's tell one another what we're thankful for. Now, I don't know if you do that. Um, How many do that in your own tradition? Take time to just go around and you just say that around the table. Well, what I want to do is we look at this message today, and we're looking at Exodus chapter 6. We've gone from five chapters now to this chapter 6. I want us to stop and kind of pause in, in, as we go through this message at times, think about what does it mean as you move into this Thanksgiving holiday for you to be thankful? What could you give thanks for? If you were to think of the book of Exodus, it is in many ways a story that is given to people to remind them of what God has done for them and for them to respond with hearts of thanksgiving. So the whole book, in a sense, is a response of, of, of our hearts of thanks to God or those specifically as it was read to them publicly. They would respond in thanksgiving, look at what our God has done. So Exodus chapter 6, verse 13, through chapter 7, verse 7 is what we're going to try and tackle this morning. And in this passage, Moses has some choices to make. The Hebrew people have choices to make. In a moment, in, we'll see Pharaoh will have some choices to make. And throughout it all, God is preparing the people to respond with thanksgiving and to trust him and to express that thanksgiving and gratefulness in love towards other people. And so there are three things in this passage specifically that I think cause us to to consider where we could be thankful. And the first is this idea, are you grateful for your family? And as we look at these uh, verses, you'll see it's an extended family line. It's a genealogy, and it will be really exciting to read this in just a moment. It's, it's an opportunity for them to see this, and I'm going to kind of help us understand why they were grateful for this. Um, and then it goes into verses 28 and 30. Are you grateful in a sense for your weaknesses? That, that's an area you can look at and say, God, 
Um, can I be thankful for this? Because three times you'll find that Moses is constantly protesting, really complaining to God, saying, God, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. I, I just can't do what you're asking me to do. And at some point, as you notice Moses, God stops telling him, you can do it. You don't need to worry about it. He just doesn't even answer anymore. It's almost like he says, it's up to you now. It's your choice. Will you be grateful that I'm here and I'm present and I will work through you? And then there's this last, says, are you grateful for your age? We get to chapter 7, verses 1 through 7, especially verses 6 and 7. You're going to see he lists something about how old both Moses and Aaron are as they come into the presence of God. So that kind of gives you a little sketch of where we're going. What I want you to be thinking about as we go through this is there will be opportunity to say, as I approach this Thanksgiving holiday, where can I say, I am thank you, God. I I thank you, God, for how you're at work in my heart and life. So the first is give thanks for your family. If you look at Exodus chapter 6, verses 13 through 27, um, I'm going to have you to stand... Um, I was going to do something that was not really going to be nice. Remember last week I asked you to read the bold type? I was going to have all the names be bold typed (laughs) and and force you to read it, but I won't do that. But I'm going to have you stand as we just hear the word of the Lord. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. These were the heads of their families. The sons of Reuben, the firstborn, the son of Israel, was Hanak and Palu and Herzog. Hetzron and Carmi, and they were the clans of Reuben. And the sons of Simeon were Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, Shal, the son of a Canaanite woman, and these were the clans of Simeon. Are you glad I did not put those in bold type? And these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their records. Gershon, Kohath, Merai, Levi, lived 137 years. The sons of Gershom by clans were Libni and Shimei. And the sons of Kohath were Amram and Ishar and Hebron and Uziel. Kohath lived 133 years. And they would note that as people who lived long lives. And the sons of Mariari and Mali and Mushi. These were the clans of Levi according to their records. Amram married his father's sister Jacobed, who bore him Aaron and Moses, Amram lived 137 years. And the sons of Itzar and Korah and Nepheg and Zikri. And the sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elsaphon, and Sithri. Aaron married Elsheba, daughter of Amminadab, and sister of Nashan. And she bore him Nadab and Abihu and Eliezer and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Aser, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. And they were the Korahite clans. And Eliezer, son of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These were the heads of the Levite families, clan by clan. It was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. And I want you to know, because I may not remember to say this, but it says by their divisions because... It was like, the word's almost a military term. It was this idea that this was not some kind of mass um, refugee movement that was disordered and they were just kind of moving them along. There was, this was a very ordered, directed group of people, almost in a sense, he wants you to see like a military group moving out. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt, this same Moses and Aaron. 
Thanks, you may be seated. And so I'm reading this, and I'm preparing these messages, and I'm reading through chapters 5, and I get to chapter 6, and all of a sudden it, it says these words, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh king of Egypt, and commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And I, you, know, you just kind of expect you to go into the story, and all of a sudden it stops. And you're, you're, you know, I just was asking myself, why in the world? Disrupt the narrative like this. What's going on? Why would you all of a sudden at this point stop? It's framed by verses 10 and 12, which is Moses' protest, and verses 28 and 30, which is again Moses' protest. It's, it's like it's framed by these two things, this genealogy, which is placed right in the middle of the story, or at least in the beginning part of the story. It almost feels like a commercial break. You know, now a word from our sponsors. And um, its placement and selection of families listed here, though, raises a number of questions. Why is it placed here now? And why only these select number of names? And in a real sense, it's an opportunity to stop, and there's a lot of things going on, but it's an opportunity to just stop and give thanks. This is the family. The first thing I want you to note, it's an intentional stop. It isn't a commercial break. It's intentionally placed here exactly where it's supposed to be with the exact names Included that are supposed to be in it. It's no mistake. This is not filler, like, you know, like he's running out of room. You see, in that day, they only, to write on, on papyrus or different elements that they'd write on, they didn't have a lot of that. You had to be pretty wealthy to have it. So you, you wouldn't add filler at all. Every word was measured and counted for because you only had so much quote, paper to write on. Up to this point, we've heard about Moses, this guy who his birth and his calling. We're told about Aaron and his role to help Moses as the mouthpiece of Aaron, of, of, of uh, Pharaoh, Aaron being the mouthpiece of Moses to be for Pharaoh. But if you're listening, you could also be wondering, because again, this public reading, you heard this public reading that would take place. They didn't just say, you know, hey, Hand your, take your Bibles, you guys, and read it. They didn't have that. So these would always, in an oral tradition, you would tell the story one to another. And, and so this, this public reading, this oral telling of the story, at this point in the story, we're not told much about Moses or Aaron. And so he stops to help people kind of go, a family go, hmm, where am I connected to this family? It's an intentional pause. He lists for the first time, who is the father of Moses and Aaron? doesn't give them by name. He just says in chapter 2, they're, they're from a Levite clan. And so he lists them for the first time. And he only lists, as you go through this, three of the patriarchs. He doesn't list, you know, praise God, we didn't have to read all 12. He only lists three. And he, and he, he begins with the first three, beginning with the oldest, Reuben, and then going to the next one, who is Simeon, and then on to Levi. And he only wanted to establish, the reason he only goes down to Levi is because he's merely seeking to establish for those who are listening this Levitical priesthood line that Moses and Aaron come from. And so he's just trying to to help them understand that. So he only traces it back there in order to help people understand, oh, that's why Aaron is speaking forth like this. That's why Moses, they're priests. And it's not just, um, in this sense, an intentional thing. It's also instructive in why he's put it here. It's not a complete and thorough genealogy. 
It's actually a selective list. There's gaps in it. If you were to go through here, and scholars have tried to do it and, and count up all the names in this 400 years that that Israel is in Egypt, starting with Joseph to the point when they're to leave, and you count up the names in this genealogy, they won't add up because they are actually only putting in ones that they wanted there for specific reasons so that they could see the connection and then highlight some things along the way. It's an instructive list in this sense because if you read Genesis chapter 49 where you hear the blessing that Jacob the father gives to these 12 patriarchs, these first three, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, do not get a real good blessing. In fact, you could say they almost get a curse or nothing at all. And it's instructive that you would go, wow, that's kind of interesting. The first three that are mentioned here almost, in a sense, are on the bad side of the family. Listen to what, just listen to how this is, is mentioned. These three rascals, in a sense, it's not till you get to the fourth one, Judah, that you actually have a blessing. It says, then Jacob called his sons and, and said, gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in the days to come. I'm going to share my blessing with you. So they gather around and, and they assemble and they listen. And he says, Reuben, you're my firstborn. And you know, the firstborn's kind of thinking, yeah, okay. I'm going to get the title of the land and all that. You're my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters, you will no longer excel. Oh, that's nice. Thanks, Dad. Am I done? Yeah. Simeon and Levi, our brothers. You guys are two partners in crime, in a sense. Both of you guys, come here. Simeon and Levi, our brothers, their swords are weapons of violence, for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they pleased. Cursed be their anger so fierce, their fury so cruel. Can you just imagine them going, whoa. And then he goes, so cruel, I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Moses and Aaron's dad was not a great guy. They're bad apples. Great, great, great grandpa Levi was not a model citizen. And in the first five chapters of Exodus... And what you really have to understand as you read this is Moses is anything but heroic. He's been born a Hebrew. He spends his first 40 years in the courts of Egypt, decides, kind of has a crisis of of identity, what am I going to do? Sees a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian, kills the Egyptian, the Hebrew brothers turn on him. Wanted posters are posted all over Egypt. He runs away and he's Off in the desert, God comes to him and says, I want to use you. And he goes, no way. You have to have this picture as you look at this this genealogy and this family history. God, why in the world would you select them? Now you're all getting a little hope because maybe you could be selected by God, right? That's exactly the point. It's not about you. It's about God. And he's just, he's just looking for anyone who kind of raised their hand or their heart would be somewhat open to saying, God, would you use me in someone else's life? I, I, I don't need to be put on a big stage, but maybe at work, maybe in my life, as I live my life, as I grow throughout my life, as I have a family and we have family, maybe you could use me, touch me and touch others through me. 
And so you get this genealogy making this point. God can use anyone. He will use anyone who will listen and obey. And he's looking for willingness. We've made Moses in many ways this huge hero. But if you read the way it should be read in those first five chapters and you look at this genealogy, he is anything but. It's not only um, instructive, it's, it's kind of an introductory. Um, it, it's an introduction to the whole book. We don't read it this way. Why it's placed where it is here in chapter 6 is, is, is um, because it's kind of the first part before the real story takes place. There's almost a sense, you, you know, read a, a book where there's a forward to a book and a forward to the book kind of gives you a little bit of idea of what kind of brings you up to speed so you can actually enter into the story. Well, that's kind of what is happening here. Chapter 7 begins the real story of Moses standing before Pharaoh. And when you get to chapter 7, you now begin to see for the first time what this book is all about. It's about the demonstration of God's incredible love and power and his ability to um, overcome everything, any enemy, the, the world power of Egypt, the, the gods that they served, the demonic forces that were behind it. He's the God who is able to take all of nature, to use nature to turn people's hearts around or to harden them and to allow people to be free. And now the story begins when you get to chapter 7. Chapters 1 through 5 were just background telling you, it's kind of like the backdrop that says, Moses... Not such a willing person in some ways. Not really the kind of person you might select. Now let's look at God. Now the story focuses on the incredible power and his patience and his love that God shows. It's not really unlike other stories. You think about it. There are genealogies because genealogies, family histories is really important in stories. And so you come to Matthew and Matthew begins with the genealogy and gets right into the story of Jesus. But if you look at Luke, you'll find that Luke for a while goes on and it's all this introductory stuff about Mary and uh, first before that uh, as we think of Christmas. Thank God we have all this kind of prologue. But when you get to about chapter 3 and 4, you start. You, now you have a genealogy and from the genealogy on you have the story of Jesus. And so the introduction leads to the genealogy and that's exactly what's happening here. It's an introduction. It's also informative in the sense that the order of the names are interesting. God has a way of keeping all of us off balance, right? In our lives, isn't that just, you know, you think you got it together and all of a sudden it changes. If you look at the genealogy, you'll see listed um, often instead of the firstborn, because the rule then was primogeniture. It was the whole idea. And in our agricultural society and culture, this idea of primogeniture, which means the firstborn, is a very important thing. We don't, we don't do that today. We'd be almost like, are you crazy? You left everything to the first child? Well, they left everything to the first child because the first child was supposed to be one who was a manager who was worthy of doing the work. That's why Joseph got in so much trouble. He wasn't the first. These other guys were rascals. So his father is looking for someone who can be a, 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 a responsible manager of all that he has. And so you go through here and, 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 and you find that God often, God often forgoes what's expected. The first is last. The servant is, is the least, is the greatest and, God chooses rotten line of Levi, the thirdborn, and the Mo- Moses' father, Amron, is the secondborn, and Eliezer is the thirdborn. And you have this interesting way that God just goes around selecting people, not necessarily the firstborn. And if you know in the genealogy, you'll see also Aaron is listed first, because Aaron is, 
is the older brother of Moses. And so, as you see in verses 26 and 27, it says, it was this Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said. So just before that, uh, when they're listing names, they list Aaron and Moses. So he's kind of coming out of it, bringing the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. They were the ones who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. And then it changes this same Moses and Aaron. And everything from that point on is Moses and Aaron. The way that often a, a writer in, in, in ancient literature would, would designate someone who's a leader is by changing the names. And so he now says, you know, okay, you understand Aaron's the older brother, but Moses is the one who's called to lead. Happens in the book of Acts. You see Barnabas, and it's Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul. And then all of a sudden, I think it's chapter 13, it becomes now Paul and Barnabas. You see the same thing. You see Aquila and Priscilla, and you see that mentioned in Olson from every time after that it's Priscilla and Aquila. His wife is the leader with the gifts of leadership. And so you have this kind of going back and forth. Moses, the secondborn, becomes the leader, and, and his brother now becomes the one who is his mouthpiece. And, and the last thing I wanted to say about this part, it's... When you look at the genealogy, this family history, this family line, it's really interesting. Because you ask, and so do many scholars, and they will go back and forth on what it all means. But you have to ask yourself, who gets included in this list? Those who are included, it's rather interesting. Those listed, again, are not maybe those you might expect. So I'll just list, I'll just go through a couple of these, a few of these. Shaul, a Canaanite woman. You kind of go, why would you bring that name out? Well, there were some matriarchs who were well known for the things they did. But I, I think what's interesting here, it may be listed, and many of them say, is because her background was unusual. She was a Canaanite pagan. This is not so much about a racial thing as it's a religious thing. The stress is more on the fact that she wasn't an Israelite and, and he wants people to know this in the family line. It's like when you find out when your um, kids come in, did you know that great-great-great-grandma was not a conservative, evangelical, Protestant, Bible-believing, born-again believer? <laughs> did you know? Way back in our line, Shaul, she was a Canaanite pagan and she's listed in God's line? She wasn't this pure, believing person all her life? And then, and then you come to Amram and Jacobed, which is the parents of both Moses and Aaron. And what's interesting here is, is they make this note. Amram married his father's sister, Jacobed, who bore him Aaron and Moses, And now the scandal really worsens. This line alone reveals the authenticity of Scripture. There's no cleansing of the records. There are a number of people and scholars who try and interpret this in ways that are different. And, well, it's not really his father's sister. And and they go through. And there are some arguments around that. But bottom line is, a little bit later, when Moses gives the law, the Levitical law, that was outlawed. And you would think if you're going to kind of make things look good, you just you don't need to add that. You can scrub the record, right? 
So some people go, I don't know about the Bible and this and that. I, I want to just tell you, the Bible is one of the most honest books you can read. Some of the stuff in there, you go, why in the world would you put that in there? Right? And so you have this picture, and here, here is Amron, who, who, um, who really didn't violate the Levitical law when they're reading it later, because there was no Levitical law. And then he mentions a guy named Korah. He's the cousin of Moses, and it's important that they put Korah in there because as the cousin of Moses, it gives people an understanding of why he even thought he could challenge Moses' authority. He's a rebellious guy, and so are his whole family behind him. They're kind of watching Moses as they're leading him through the, the wilderness at some point, and Korah's going, I can do much better than that guy. And their whole family's going, yeah, you can, Dad. And so he stands up in rebellion against Moses in God deals with him in that family. Yet he's listed here. He's a bad character. And what I find interesting is Moses, who we believe is the author of these books, recognizes him without saying anything bad about him. Isn't that interesting? Even though Korah rebelled and betrayed Moses, didn't say anything I think of this Thanksgiving. You're in a place where you're being grateful. There are going to be some bad apples, possibly among you, or that you'll want to talk about. Can you stay in a thankful place without saying anything bad and not move into that place with others? Not tearing others down, even if you think they deserve it. Because that's where we all are, right? They sure deserve someone to talk about them, right? And then there's Phineas, verse 25. The family line ends here with Phineas, who was a hero of the priestly line. The reason you end with him is because everyone around the time when this was being read, they're going, Phineas, man, woohoo! He's the man. He was. I mean, he did incredible great exploits, and he's been given, he's, he's pronounced a huge blessing over him because of his zeal for the Lord, and, and everyone knows, man, Phineas, is, he's the guy. But I think it's interesting, because if you read it, it says that he's one of the daughters of Putiel, which is a combination of an Egyptian name with, and they must have added then this um, kind of heat kind of Hebrew name, which was, which was more possibly the El God names were more Mesopotamian. So it was this kind of combination of this Egyptian name with the name El God. And um, it says Elias, or son of, Am- Am- of Aaron, married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. The hero of the people Phineas had an Egyptian name as well. That's an Egyptian name. And it means, it literally means black or Ethiopian. And not only does this family have a pagan Canaanite woman, but this one is more racial in its background in the sense that it is filled with a variety of races. And in Egypt, there were many shades of color and there was no black and white racial divide. So I'm away this last week and I had an opportunity to spend time with a really good friend of mine who is a chair of philosophy at Westmont, but I was in Montreal because he's a visiting professor at the U of the UDM, which is the U of M which is not Minnesota, but of Montreal. And so I had a day with him, and I spent the day with him, and we started talking, I was sharing a little bit about this, and he goes, you know, it's so funny, Kevin, I just read this academic book on racism. And he goes, one of the theses of this author is the fact that racism is something like a virus. 
Like, like sin, it's in us and it comes out. He said, but as you go through it and as you're reading it, there's times in history where it just, it just flares up. Like if you have um, pneumonia or something like that. And he says, you can go out through history. And I was thinking about it because I was going, yeah, I remember I read this book called The Black Count. And the Black Count was this guy in, in Europe and France. And in France, before um, all the, um, uh, the, the French Revolution and things like that, there were, because of they married people from the West Indies, the blacks and the whites, they all lived together in, in harmony. There wasn't, a, there wasn't a bad thing. And this guy was a black count until things started happening, even actually in our country and, and in England. And it was like a virus that spread into France. And that guy, this black count, lost his ability. And just this story of, of Europe, but it's also the story of, of how one person had, had lost their influence and had lost their prestige and everything because the, the, the flaring up of the virus of racism was spreading throughout the globe. And I was just sharing that with him and he said, yeah, that's, that's right in line with what so happens. And here is Phineas. An Ethiopian black person, because Ethiopia being so closely to, connected to Egypt, they were such an intermixing of the people. And here within the Israel historical family line, one of the stars for God was a black man, was a woman from Canaan who was a pagan. And I... I was writing this and I was thinking I'm so grateful that after this service we're getting together our East Indian and our Chinese and, and people who are like my kind of skin and white because we are a people, a family that includes every race and every background and every faith background. We, we have one thing in common and that is Jesus, Right? And I just was just was so struck by this that one of the great things to give thanks for as you meet together as a family, as you look around the room, is you get, there's probably going to be some bad apples. There's probably going to be some people who have some background that you're not really crazy. You know, there are all kinds of things that are going to come. There are going to be, there's going to be unique and different people around the table. And guess what? You get to say, thank you, God. You get to make that something that's joyful. Holidays can be stressful. I understand that we're moving into it. But how will you through this time be thankful to God and how will you express that? Can you prepare your heart and give thanks? Do you know someone who's struggling with this? Maybe you have a friend or someone at work who's struggling with the anticipation of Thanksgiving meals or holidays coming up because of the way someone will act, whatever. Can you pray for them? Can you find ways to encourage them? There's so many opportunities to give thanks. Yesterday I was flying home from from Montreal and um, I had gotten... Um, so you, you can't, there's not a direct flight. So I got to Detroit and I got there early. And, and you know, as you get early, you look at the board and on the board I see, hey, my... There's like a, my flight's like 145, but this one is leaving at 12:15, and I got 40 minutes to get there, and I'm thinking I'm going to get to that gate. And anybody ever heard I've told you maybe about Airport Kevin? <laughs> well, Airport Kevin is this guy who I don't really know that well. <laughs> my wife knows him a lot better, 
but it just comes out. And so for me, it's like I'm getting on that plane and in, in, in airport Kevin works all the time. It's like when I'm there, I want to be the first one in line. Everything is about getting there. It's, it's all about asserting myself. It's not a very godly thing. But anyway, um, Airport Kevin's flying there, and I see the desk. I see there's really no one at the desk. I come right to the thing. There's one lady. She's already boarding people, and I ask her, can I get on? She looks at me and goes, you know, I'm right in the middle. I love to do this, but I can't. But right over there, you can go over there, and at that desk, you can get set to do it. And so I go, thanks. Okay, great. And I'm running over to get there so I can hopefully get on. I don't even know if I can because she doesn't give me any promise that I can't. And a lady accosts me, stops me. She says, did you know you cut in line in front of that person? I did. I mean, there was anger. And I, so I, I go, I know I didn't. I wasn't, I didn't intend or anything like that. I was just kind of like not sure to say. And, and I look back and here's, here's a lady in a wheelchair with a cane. I didn't even see her. And, uh, I, I said, I'm so sorry. And I said, would you watch my bag? And she's like, angry, like, what do you mean I'm going to watch your bag? You know, like thinking I'm going to go this. And I went back to the lady and I got on my knees. And I didn't get on my knees because she, I mean, she was in a wheelchair. Get, okay, we're like this. And I just looked at I said, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to cut in front of you. I didn't see you. That was airport Kev, not me. She just, she laughs at me and goes, oh, I'm just sitting here with the guy behind me getting ready to get on the plane. So I go walking back to the lady who's holding my bags. And what do you think I did? Gave her a piece of my mind. No, I did not. You know what I, I did? Because as I was thinking about it, I, I thought, I, through the whole process, I thought, how many times do I do that? And I... I went back to her and I just said, you know what? I'm so sorry. I please hope you'll forgive me. And, and, um, it didn't, I didn't need to prove to her that she wasn't, I, I just needed, I just said to her, thank you for pointing out something that I need to see. And I went and got my thing and I get back on in here. I come by and she, the lady's sitting in first class. And I, yeah, I like didn't know. I, <laughs> oh, the hoi polloi. We'll sit in the back. Anyway, no. There are so many opportunities to give thanks. There's a couple other things in this passage of scripture that you can give thanks for. Your weakness. You get to chapter, uh, verse 28 and 30, and you can go back to verse six, chapter 6, verse 12, and you can go back to earlier in the chapter, I think it's around chapter 4. Moses continues to say, God, I can't do it. I'm inadequate. I'm weak. And God's saying, when will you understand that that's okay? Start giving thanks because it's my adequacy that will do it. There are so many opportunities for us to turn around and say, God, I can give thanks. I can give thanks for all the best, all the things in my family, good and bad and all this stuff. I can give thanks, God, because I have weaknesses that just make me dependent on you. And people can point them out. Seriously, think about it. Do you let people point those things out? This morning, I'm doing my journal, and I'm recognizing that something happened uh, last evening where I was starting to, I realized that I didn't take responsibility. I was kind of more in a victim kind of state and didn't state the need, whatever. And I sat this morning and said, God, I blew the opportunity last night to act like an adult. <laughs> you must think I'm a mess. I am. But anyway, 
I blew the opportunity last night to act like an adult. But thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for making me aware that I don't have to blow the opportunity again, even though I probably will. You're pointing out patterns in my life that need to become under the submission of your spirit and under the work of Christ that has bought and paid a price for me. And I want that price to mean something. So I thank God, and you can thank God for your weaknesses. And you can thank God for your age. I'm not going to go through Exodus 7, 1 through 5, because we will actually talk about that a little bit around one of the Christmas messages, believe it or not, but it works. Um, But what I want you to realize, it says here at the end of those verses 6 and 7, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. There's a lot to comment on here, but all I want to say, what stands out is a little fact. This is not just a throw-in. This is not just an ad. This is intentionally placed here as one of the last things before you get into the story, the real story. Because... He's just making the point once again. It wasn't like Moses and Aaron were in the vitality of their youth. Here is God using some people that you would kind of go, what, really? 80, 83, he's going to stand up to Pharaoh? It's just another glimpse of the power and incredible adequacy and sufficiency of our God. And he goes at 80 and 83, God used them. And I just want to tell you, I don't care if you're 80 or you're 10 or 12, God can use you to create the story of what he is working out here throughout all history. And you can give thanks to that. And I, I just, as we close, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I think what amazes me, and the, the words I want you to kind of almost in your mind, or if you have your Bible, which it's a great thing to bring your Bible, we're going through the, the Exodus, so um, in Christmas we're going to go into some Christmas series, in January we're going to do some stuff on prayer, but we're going to get right back into this in February, so if you don't have a Bible, go buy one and bring it, and you can underline, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them, that's a really important line, and the reason that's important is because Moses, who started out rather arrogant. This is what D.L. Moody says. He says it this way. I like this. Um, Moses spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody. 40 years in the desert learning he was nobody. And 40 years showing what God can do with a somebody who's found out he was a nobody. I don't know where you're at in that phase and stages, but in every part of it, there's this opportunity for us to give thanks because the trajectory of Moses' life was moving from a place of arrogance and I need to do this and I'm in control and I need to manipulate this and I got to take care of this to a place where he is just kind of throughout his life on his knees in total dependence on God, humbled, humbled, so that God can do just what he's commanded through him. God is only looking for people who will say to his spirit's prompting. It's not a big deal. He's not not necessarily sending you off to some place to do a great work. He's sending you off today and throughout the day to, to hear his spirit and to respond to it in a humble, 
growing humble place of saying, yes, God, I will, I'll do that, just like you commanded. <laughs>